COVID has been extremely complex from an emotional point of view. Fear, anxiety, anger, and grief. Over 175,000 people have died in the U.S., leaving loved ones to process their grief, and many of them didn't even get to say their final goodbyes, either in person or through a funeral, because they weren't allowed to. And that leaves wounds that have to be healed on multiple levels. Well, today we're going to try and help those people to understand the grief of COVID and to find a path to healing. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget to tell other people about this podcast, share it like crazy, and please rate and review us so that when you're done, so when you're, I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget, please, to rate and review us when you're done so that you can help even more people learn and heal. So let me introduce for you today, actually, I've got Diane Malaspina. Um, she is an applied psychologist. She's also a 500-hour certified yoga instructor. I look at my notes so that I make sure I get it all right. Um, and she's a senior teacher for the international yoga training program called Yoga Medicine, um, which combines yoga tradition and modern science. And it's a cross-discipline training that helps people heal body and spirit to create sustainable well-being. Yoga medicine is, you know, this is not standard grief. This actually takes a much more holistic view of grief and your body because whenever you have emotions, it's not just your head, it's not just your heart, it's mind, body, spirit that all go together. So Diane, welcome. Thank you so much for being with me. Mm, thank you for having me. And we're going to talk in a minute about, we'll get to like what yoga medicine is, but let's start out talking about COVID and the uniqueness of the grieving process and all the emotions surrounding it. So what makes grief during COVID so difficult and so challenged versus kind of a standard loss process? Yeah, well, social distancing measures, I think, would be the key theme around why this becomes so complex during this time rather than or comparing this to other times in terms of understanding grief. So when you look at social distancing that keeps family members from being around their loved one's side, if it's if the person, if we're losing someone in our life related to COVID, there's the complexity of having to drop someone off at a hospital and not be able to go in with them. Um, but at the same time as the virus has taken many lives, um, it is also, we also have many illnesses that are still occurring, such as cancer and heart disease and age-related causes of death, where not only people who are losing loved ones due to COVID-19, but also to the other types of uh, deaths that we die from, they're, they're unable to be by their side, which will add to a level of sadness and, and some other emotions related to that. So what comes up with that is that we can't share sentiments of love. We can't be present with them as the end of life approaches. Things like being able to hold someone's hand and say goodbye or assure them that they're not alone. And, and then also that feeling of leaving someone alone to die can be really tough to cope with. So people are missing out on these final farewells, as well as the ability to be of comfort to loved ones. And that can lead to a great deal of despair and guilt and a lack of control and increased sadness because of the inability to be of comfort. Well, and is it also difficult because that A, everybody's anxiety is heightened already. So we're already kind of on emotional pins and needles. So that are they feeling things at a different level or a higher level than they might normally? And then on the flip side of it, 
after later on we'll talk about or uh, loss oriented responses and restoration oriented responses and that we're not able to go back to life in the same way we're not able to get busy and that we're kind of go back and we're locked in this space of anxiety and fear so that it's even more difficult for them to be able to even process the emotions in an in, i'll call it a normal way or a historical way yeah yeah your first point is that we're all under a lot of stress right now, even, even if things aren't directly impacting you. And then you add the intensity and the immensity of losing a loved one. And so that level of stress is gonna compound the level of stress that's already happening in the current environment. And so stress, when it becomes more in the system, both psychologically, physiologically, it has even more serious impacts in our ability to cope. And so it takes a really strong network of social support as well as personal resources to be able to handle the compounded stress that's related to not only living in a pandemic and the different um, issues that come up with that, but also then adding the depth of loss of someone close to you. And for the most part, a very sudden loss. Right. If, you, if, if the loss is from COVID, yeah, a, a right. sudden loss too, which is in the same thing. It's like we lose people, you know, we, we, most of us have the experience of sudden loss in our lives. Like maybe a loved one is in a car accident or, or something like that, for example. But this is a little bit different because there's an entire, the whole world is involved with this. And then we're also highly stimulated by the media around it, which also heightens not only our awareness of it, but we've all had to shift our lives. So it's a constant. And that's going to exacerbate the effects of it and, right. and make it much more difficult to cope with. Right. So let me play. I love playing my own devil's advocate. Okay. So this is horrible. COVID has been horrible. We've all been put to the test. We've all, our lives have shifted, as you've said. This isn't the first time that's happened. Right. So obviously the 1918 flu where people ran around with masks and they also went away, but there was tuberculosis. There were, you know, there have been diseases like this before and where people were afraid of these kinds of things before. So are people grieving differently now? You know, that you talk about there was a greater sense of stoicism in some ways a couple of generations ago, that they handled things, you know, now we're into the feelings. The last couple of generations, it's all about the feelings. Um, so is the way that we grieve now um, different than in the past? Because again, this is unique, yet it's not societally. Well, first of all, going back to what I said about just the, the stimulation of media, we all know what each other's doing in a sense. There, there's a lot more awareness of how people are experiencing life and experiencing this pandemic. So, you know, back in the 1800s, they, they may have known in their immediate community how people were coping, but there was not a level of awareness as it is now. So, so you have, you know, the difference in the time period related to that. But when I, when I, I like your word stoic because I think of it as just because we don't show our feelings doesn't mean that it's a healthier coping strategy. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of health outcomes that are negative related to keeping feelings inside and not expressing them, which might've been more of the way in earlier times. Um, but I do think that, um, and, I, and I, did, I did a little bit of, of checking in on that. I was curious about some mental health stats um, you know, in previous times compared to now, there's not obviously a lot of research out there, 
but possibly in many ways, it could have been more devastating depending on the location and, and what was happening because similarly to what is happening in contemporary times, it's the marginalized members of community that are particularly uh, withstanding the brunt of the effects. So social conditions are what are gonna eventually have the larger impact on the biological factors that we look at. So if we look back to a time period where there were more people that were suffering from already from extreme poor health or mm -hmm. poverty or malnourishment, those are gonna have mental health effects. And, and we're seeing that in our own you know, country as well is that it's the marginalized populations that are actually having more illnesses, more deaths, as well as succumbing to the larger mental health concerns that we're seeing nationwide. So yeah, I, I hear you in, in terms of um, yes, feelings and even mental health awareness. There's even a hashtag out there now of mental health awareness, right? So all of that is much more um, visible, it's talked about, but um, I don't necessarily as a psychologist think that because feelings and emotions are in the forefront that that's that it just doesn't have any difference in terms of health right. outcomes it might it might actually be healthier in a way to express versus keeping it in for the sake of what others think as long as they can process through it let me push it yeah. one more one more angle on this again because i think it's putting you know just putting things in perspective um in in the old days um people died a lot more there yeah. was a different acceptance and understanding of the cycle of life people died in childbirth people died like they were, for all sorts of reasons life expectancy wasn't as long and now and especially I've, I've said this in other facebook lives and conversations with covid this has become the germ of the century mm -hmm. and every person that gets sick is a headline news and that across our culture we seem to have gotten to this intolerance of imperfection we can't handle any pain. We can't allow any death. We can't that there's there's not an acceptance to, to me in some ways of the cycle of life. Now, I don't want to minimize, again, 178,000 people, I think was the last number that I saw have died of this. And it's horrible and tragic. And I'm not minimizing it in any way. Um, but that the um, the it, we used to when it's all started out it was bend the curve it was get let the let, let's learn about this thing so we had no idea they thought that the death rate was going to be so 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 much higher than it actually was but it was bend the curve and now it seems that it's shifted to no one can get it um so is there again a different cultural phenomenon that's going on now with people emotionally in terms of acceptance of life doesn't make the, the loss any easier it doesn't make the grieving any different but just in terms of the 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 setup or the you know the surrounding emotions yeah i think that i think what you're hitting on here is that we don't like to be uncomfortable we don't like to experience discomfort whether again that's physical or emotional or mental and so i see now maybe nowadays versus 20 years ago 50 years ago you know and i wasn't around 100 years ago but but i i think that really good if you were <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I think that in this contemporary times, we have a lot of things that we can do when we don't feel good, that'll help us feel better immediately. And part of that is distraction. 
I can get on a computer, I can turn on the TV, I can look at my phone and I can distract myself from any emotion or feeling that brings me discomfort. And I think that our threshold for comfort is for discomfort is really low in this day and age. And again, like you're saying, not to minimize it, but the level of anxiety and um, depression and angst that people are experiencing is very real. It is very intense on the system, but it's also really hard for us, I think, to cope with this now than it might have been, you know, centuries ago, because we have more access to whether it be medication or distractions or habits. Like some people have ha- habits that don't serve them well, like, oh, I'm just going to get a drink, you know, or 10 right. drinks, right. numb myself and check out from the experience. We have much more access to things that we can make it feel better in the short term or can distract us um, than when in previous times, I think that the mentality was that you you had to face it. You had to, you had to look at it head on because there weren't so many distractions. Oh yeah. So I would say that. And the messaging is immediate gratification for everything. Again, we don't have tolerance for discomfort, as you said, take a pill, have a drink you know, watch video, whatever it is, which in some ways there are studies where, you know, do some of those distractions, video games or whatever can actually help. I know I've seen it with PTSD, like playing video games afterward oddly can reduce the long-term impact, but you know, there's, it's interesting the shift in our ability to accept discomfort. Yeah, it really is. All right, let's start to talk then about strategies and what people can do. Again, if anybody has any questions, any things that they'd like to share, any questions that they want, post them on up on Facebook so that we can pass them along to Diane. Um, All right, so why don't you explain yoga medicine? People know what yoga is, they know what medicine is. Why don't you talk in general about yoga medicine, which is this overall kind of practice that you have that, that helps people, this more holistic, rounded practice. Yeah, so, well, yoga medicine um, is an anatomically based training system that is uh, founded by a, an acupuncturist and wellness expert who is also a yoga teacher named Tiffany Crookshank. And what she has put together is an anatomically based training that incorporates um, Western science and medicine with practices of Eastern philosophy, as well as traditional Chinese medicine and more holistic health, um, including yoga, meditation, breath, and, and other things that bring balance to the nervous system. So it is a training program. We have 200 hour, 500 hour, and 1000 hour certification programs. And really it's about creating a community of teachers worldwide who are trained to understand function and dysfunction of the human body in order to then work with both within both yoga and healthcare settings. Um, So the idea is that we are an educational platform with the intent of integrating our work in the healthcare setting. So would my doctor recommend me go to a yoga medicine practitioner? Like they might, you know, recommend me go to a physical therapist for something else? Yeah, possibly. I mean, we're still in, you know, the phases of, of, of uh, visibility in our organization, but we do have a, um, a search engine on our site so that physicians and, and other people can actually go into our site, yogamedicine.com. There's a find a teacher function, and you can actually plug in your location 
and find uh, whichever teachers are close by and which particular trainings they have certification in. So we have orthopedic modules, we have mental health modules, which I'm one of the lead trainers on. Um, we have other trainings on like the nervous system and, and, and just a host of programs that if someone is looking for a specialist to bring incorporate yogic like practices, as well as it's, it's meant to be as an adjunct to mm -hmm. um, med the Western medicine, um, but it could also I personally as a yoga medicine therapeutic specialist, um, I've collaborated with physical therapists um, working with clients right. as well as medical doctors. Right. All right, so yeah. let's talk about how grief, you know, using focusing on grief, but again, it, it, it functions most your body your body is the the cauldron uh, not the cauldron but you know it, it emotions come out of your body so talk about how um grief manifests in the body because it's grief well, it's that what does that have to do with you know my head or my neck or my hips yeah yeah so it, it so I'll, I'll start this by kind of giving an overview. So grief initiates what we call a sympathetic nervous system stress response. Okay, so that's that, and that is gonna explain everything else that comes along with it. So we have two parts of our nervous system. We have the sympathetic nervous system, which is related to the activation of our energy. It's related to keeping our heart beating. It's related to um, helping us to fight or flee or even freeze in response to stress in order to keep us alive. And then the other aspect of the nervous system is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is oftentimes in layman's terms called the rest and digest. And that part of our nervous system is responsible for the other half of our survival mechanisms, mainly uh, related to digestion, but also related to sleep and relaxation and things like that. And these two nervous systems need to be in balance, just like the rest of our body and our systems need to be in balance. And what grief does is it, it activates that stress response, the sympathetic nervous system aspect of our nervous systems so that we go into more of an overdrive. And when the sympathetic nervous system is highly activated, we have um, the pituitary gland, one of the glands of the brain sends messages to our adrenal glands, which are related to producing cortisol and other stress hormones, which then secrete these hormones into our system. And when we have prolonged um, hormonal imbalance related to high levels of stress, we then have physical responses such as body aches and pain, we can have dysregulated blood pressure as well as chest pain. We can have digestive problems, weight gain, weight loss, fatigue, feelings of heaviness, headaches, um, increased blood pressure, lower immune response. And all of these are related to also the experience of loss, loss and grief. So um, mentally, what we'll see when people have too much activity in that stress side of the nervous system, people will have challenges with their attention span, with concentration, um, inability to make sound decisions or problem solving, lapses in memory. 
So um, it really can turn into this mind-body phenomenon like you were talking about earlier in that we have this physiological response related to, you know, the heart and, and the immune system and um, pain in the body. And then on top of that, we get this mental cognitive response related to really the ability to use our executive functioning. So now in this case, again, the losses are quite sudden and we've got this guilt overlay. Um, yeah. And you had mentioned, I mean, so that all this, so some of these things you were talking about come on with chronic stress over time. So blood sugar and, and mental fatigue and stuff like that. Um, you had mentioned to me, oddly, some, some posture things and a few physical things that I'll call it might be symptoms of the, that, you know, just manifest physically in people. Yeah, so as a, as a yoga teacher, especially what I'm going to look at is what I would call like a body posture of grief. Mm -hmm. So that could look like the shoulders rounding forward, the chest caving in, um, a person who sighs a lot like that, you know, sighing a lot can also mean that they're having a hard time with breathing well into the chest. Um, a lot of times we'll see um, pain in the body. A lot of times that could happen in the upper body because of that posturing, but it can also happen in the low back, in the hips. And so those would be some of the things that I would be looking for in terms of some therapeutic intervention that I might want to work with. But but there's also those different things I was talking about, like chest pain um, and, and increased blood pressure, which I also could work with as a yoga teacher because I can work with, then I talked about that stress response related to the sympathetic nervous system. There are lots of things that we can do to take care of ourselves that will turn on that other aspect of our nervous system that will counter the effects related to overstimulation related to stress. So let's, I'll call it walk through a timeline. So somebody, there's multiple aspects, I guess, where yoga medicine and some of the strategies that we're going to talk about people should be incorporating into their lives because some of these the stress management just some of the practices of breathing that we're going to talk about or meditation that keep the whole angst down in general right and then someone dies so but there's like people i'm trying to figure go to a place of how people are in touch with the full impact of the loss and potentially this added level of guilt within their body. They may think they're fine, but someone else may notice, you know, like if somebody loses somebody, if you notice somebody that's got slumped shoulders or they're breathing awkwardly or something, that they may say, oh no, I'm fine, but they're mm -hmm. sighing, or I'm mm -hmm. fine, but they're sitting very hunched or other symptoms of, you talked before about um, low energy and stuff, which is often also a symptom of depression. So somebody so when you have loss are these steps that people should take i'll call it immediately to help them start healing as part of their grief process or is this once they realize they're struggling on their own so they need to do something so and so they could take an antidepressant or they could contact a yoga medicine practitioner well i'm I, i'm and i feel like you're speaking to the immediate effects of grief and and the one thing that i would say is that i think in the be i think that it i think we need to think about grief in a more holistic way and as a a common not only human experience but there are many animals in the animal world that also exhibit 
grief and despair upon loss. And so it doesn't have to be something that we have to fix right away. And I, and I think that that's kind of what you were getting at too, is like, oh, do I take this pill or, or, or you know, what do I do well, right away? Kind of help people know what to do and how, because sure. we want to help them like, how do they process? So there's yeah. long-term, I mean, my father died seven years ago, almost eight years ago. I still miss him every day, but I'm not, right living, right so there's an element but I'm, I'll, I'll call it the the hard grief is gone right but right may, there are those that i know someone else who lost a wife about the same time and he still lives with guilt because of the way that she died um right and so, and so i i think i would start by saying that the heartbreak is a power powerful component of the human experience and can be a teacher and catalyst for healing but once we, you know, and so, and so being with the emotions is part of it, is, is part of the processing. Um, but, you know, it, the things that we can do, one is connect with others socially to the best of our ability during times like this. So um, if someone is physically isolated and they're going through a great loss, it would be important, I would say, even through, you know, the connections over the internet or the telephone or something like that is reaching out and connecting to other people because we know through many, many years of research that social connection is considered one of the strongest buffers in dealing with extreme stress in our lives. So connecting to other people, even just talking about it, crying together or expressing whatever is going on. So that's one thing that's really important. The other thing in terms of um, being able to, to help at the individual level is engaging in practices of self-care. So if the body posturing is something that's causing pain, then working with really gentle approaches to I use yoga as the tool, but gentle approaches to yoga in order to alleviate that. So if somebody's rounding in the shoulders and they're getting neck and upper back pain, they could lie over a bolster in a way that's comfortable and not stressful and work with slow breathing for five to 10 minutes. Yeah, um, talk about what some of those exercises yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Um, other things that people can do. Um, so like in our hips, we get tight in our hips. So usually when we round in our upper body, we start to also round in our lower body. So our hip flexors get tight. And so some gentle stretching of, you know, doing little low lunges, for example, can be really nice for lengthening those hip flexors. The hips are also said in, in the yoga setting, oftentimes talk, people talk about hips as storing our emotions. Mm -hmm. So um, working with um, poses um, that we call pigeon pose or Sometimes it's, some poses are called butterfly pose where the soles of the feet together and the knees are open so that the outer hips can release tension, can be really soothing. Um, in yoga medicine, we work with techniques called myofascial release where we use balls, you could use tennis balls and we just gently massage tension out of different areas of the body. And yeah, working with a teacher can be great, but you could also be sitting at your desk leaning into a tennis ball and, and it can provide um, not only some stress reduction and some decrease in the tension in the tissues, but there's a lot of sensory receptors in those tissues that communicate with the nervous system that have a calming response. Yeah, there's a great woman that we've interviewed a number of times, Jill Miller, Yoga Tune-Up. Oh, I love her. Yeah. I love Jill. She's yes. so smart and her exercises, her balls are great, although you can use yeah. it a tennis ball or a, or a lacrosse ball or whatever. But her exercises so that itself you can do it to yourself as well yeah it's, i love that it's just great 
Yeah, um, working with your breath. I mean, just even making your exhale longer in duration than your inhale. So inhaling to account of four, exhaling to account of six and working with that, you could set a timer for two minutes and just work with closing the eyes and counting the breath. When we lengthen our exhales, our exhales are connected to that calming response of the nervous system. And so these are these holistic practices that we are, we come equipped with that we can actually do these things and help to bring us into that more even keeled state versus the more activated, stressed and emotionally laden state related to grief. So these, all these exercises, again, I'm sorry that I keep going back to when should they do it? I mean, that because right away, well, that's what I was gonna say, like that as to me, it's almost if your loved one's in the hospital, because oh, you have to manage the stress anyway, right? That, and right now everybody's so stressed. Like these are, these practices are all things that anyone can do at any time. But if with grief and I guess with the overlay of guilt on it, so it's a kind of extreme double emotional whammy that they should be practicing things. As you said, the focus on breathing, the length in breathing, restorative yoga, chest openers, the hip openers. And I don't know, are there other, I mean, there's so many great moves for restorative yoga. Um, oh, I love restorative yoga. Yeah. I mean, even legs up the wall. So lying on your back and taking your legs up the wall, you could put a, a cushion under the hips. And again, that's, that's really great. And any self-care under times of stress. So as if you have someone who becomes you know, infected with COVID. It's a great time to take those moments of self-care and it doesn't take more than a few minutes a day. You don't, sometimes I think that we feel like we have one more layer of stress that we add to the equation that we have to say, oh, now I have to do an hour of yoga. No, 10 minutes could really reset your nervous system and help you be more present with the experience so that if there are decisions to be made, remember I said, there's these cognitive um, impacts related to stress. So that if there are decisions that need to be made, you can make those decisions. If you can't be with your loved one in person and you're talking with them on the phone, that you're able to be more present with them because mm -hmm. you've cared for yourself. And then when that person leaves, when, you're, when they die, again, engaging in those aspects of self-care because it's, it's something that is going to alleviate the strain of the other half of it, which is the experience of loss. Well, and it's, I think of it in some ways as just self-nurturing. You know, what do you Absolutely. want? You're in so much pain and you don't necessarily have a mama's lap that you can crawl up into and right. have, you know, get a hug. So these are things, they're not a thing to do, but these are things where you can truly just take care of yourself in a warm and loving way. You talk about mantras, mantra meditation. Um, and again, it's not heavy meditation, but talk about some of the kind of the, the mantra, use of mantras to help frame the head and heart in these cases. Yeah, so man, uh, the word mantra means mind instrument. It's a tool of the mind and it's a tool for mental focus. And um, the technique is basically re repeating a phrase slowly. And then you can give yourself the opportunity to stop repeating the phrase. Um, and then when you get distracted, you come back to the phrase as a source of anchor to anchor the mind. And again, as the mind instrument to stay focused. And the point of doing a mantra meditation is to calm the mind. So um, the technique is just sitting. And, and if you feel comfortable with closing the eyes, you can close the eyes. And then I like to bring a phrase that is comforting. So it could be, I am whole, peace is my nature, 
um, I feel love, you know, something like that. It's, it's nice to say it as if it's present and, and happening already, even if it isn't, because that sends a neural passageway through the brain so that the brain is responding to the message that you're imprinting upon it. And um, I always recommend people pick a mantra that's comforting to them. I mean, personally, I like to say I am whole, I am whole mentally, quietly as I'm working with meditation. But if that doesn't speak to you, you could even say one word such as um, peace or, or um, contentment or something like that um, and, and repeat that over and over again. In the case of loss, should the, should the loved one be part of that mantra in any way? Like, they're at peace, it's okay. Uh, you know, they knew I loved them. Something, something that closes the connection. Yeah, I mean, I can't see that. If my advice toward that would be to see how it makes you feel. <laughs> if, if, if speaking in terms of your loved one brings you a sense of calm and clarity, then that's a great approach. But if it makes you feel more stress and, and, and if it makes you feel as though you can't find a sense of connection through it, then it might be an opportunity to explore using another statement. But yeah, I mean, I, I you know, um, loving kindness meditation is a technique of visualizing others in our lives. And, and a lot of the times what people will do, it's usually not done immediately after someone's lost someone because it can be hard to focus and there's a lot of emotions that get in the way. But loving kindness meditation, the technique oftentimes is to choose at someone who has left us and to connect to that heart-centered feeling. It's not even a mental mantra. It's more so of the feeling of love and sitting in that feeling while connecting to that person. Right. And this, I mean, this is not, if, if it's the a healing mantra for your guilt or for your grief, that's, is there a stage where you do that one for a while and then you, I'll call it grow out of that and you're ready for a different mantra at a different stage? Yeah. And I think the best way to know when you're like done with a mantra. So the one thing I would say before I go into this is that for beginners, it, you're going to be leaving the mantra a lot and coming back to it. So it's kind of like um, you're sitting, you're meditating, you might be mentally saying, I am whole, I am whole. And then you're like, oh, I've got to go to you know the grocery store <laughs> or something. And then it's like, oh, wait, let me, you know, I am whole. So when you get to a point where you can really stay pretty focused on that mantra, when you know it's time to move on is when you find yourself not really wanting to focus on that one anymore. And that there's a level of distractibility where you're like, okay, let me try something that might have more resonance for me. Gotcha. All right. Let's talk for a minute. Again, we, there's the grief and there's the guilt. So let's talk for a minute about forgiveness mm -hmm. um, at this time, because there's guilt of, you know, I wasn't there. I could have done more. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to say goodbye. The last time I saw them, I had a fight. And mm -hmm. then there's also the, like, the aspect of wanting to blame, right? I want mm -hmm. to blame the system. I want to blame God. I want to blame Chinese. I want, you know, there's a whole list of people that you could blame on this. Um, so that there's a self-forgiveness and a forgiveness of them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I again, you know, if you you go into grief theory from from the psychological point of view, there's a few of them out there. The most popular is Kubler Ross's work on the on the stages of grief, um, but some theories say that's part of it. I mean, that that we have to go through some of these feelings of anger and guilt and and you know questioning, um, bargaining even like if I had done this, maybe this wouldn't have happened. You know, those those are um, in some theories, those are considered, again, part of the process of it. Um, but I would say that in order to find acceptance, in order to, to deal with forgiveness and acceptance, it's not that you have to be like everything is great and I'm happy. In fact, I to me and, and even when we look at more um, Eastern philosophy like Buddhism, the idea is that I don't have to like what happened in order to access a state of forgiveness or in order to access a state of um, acceptance. I just have to stop struggling against it. And so the tools that we can cultivate through meditation, um, through working with our nervous systems, through connecting with other people, is that we can come to a place where I might not think it's fair. I might still think there are things I could have done differently. I might you know, have hatred toward all kinds of different levels of, of being around why this happened. But when I stop struggling against that and I'm willing to just see it, that that is how it was and how it is, that's when we can access the more peaceful states of forgiveness and acceptance. So I don't have to like it. Right. I just have to be able to acknowledge that that's the reality. Right. And that, again, you didn't, you did what you could that you know you were you yeah and 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 there's nothing like right. the reality is is that part at least in you know in terms of of the day-to-day -day, that part has reached a stage of completion um and so the interaction with that loved one um beyond your spiritual practice right beyond energetic spiritual practice in the in the here and now that aspect has concluded. And again, I might not like that, but I can tap into the feeling state through meditation. I can connect, um, you know, depending on the individual's openness or belief system, um, you know, the memory is stored. We have imprints of our experiences with other people. Um, we can even say, even if it's not of the spiritual realm, there are lessons. I, I'll give you an example. My, my husband's mother passed away a few years ago from cancer. And she wrote a cookbook and we cook recipes out of her cookbook all the time. And it's just our way to connect with her. Mm -hmm. um, she can't be in the kitchen with us, right. you know, but it is a way. Um, and, and, and I'll say that, you know, our experience of losing her, we went through those things of anger and wise and she yeah. was too young. And, you know, we went through a lot of that and where we now can find joy in her having been um, such a beautiful presence in our life is through cooking her dishes and actually opening her cookbook and looking right. at the pictures of it, right. you know, the experience of it. So is this, do you think this is an opportunity for people as death hangs so heavily through our lives right now, where people, it's an opportunity for people to let go of some of the challenges in their relationships and work on healing some of that now so that's kind of like a no regrets later you don't know what's going to happen you know they always say that people always make major changes in their lives 
suddenly when they're in the emergency room, they go, oh, I guess those cheeseburgers weren't working so good. I better do something about my heart. So is this a wake up call for a lot of people to be able to shift each day and let go of some of those tensions so that should something happen, you don't have regrets and you do have, you know, it's easier to accept and you do have forgiveness and you have forgiveness of yourself because you'd hate to lose somebody and then go, oh gosh, I should have, would have, could have. I mean, this is my personal opinion, right? But yeah, I You're mean, the expert. <laughs> yeah, I'm an expert, but you know, I, I mean, I, I like, you know, this should like, should everyone do that? Like, it can't hurt. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not. I would that, think it would be I, bigger than can't hurt. It should be. I know that's thing. my point. Like, right. I can give this advice because right. what I'm saying is that, like, I mean, the only repercussion is that you know, you you amend a relationship that might have strain in it, or you start taking actions where you're more appreciative of something that you know maybe you got too busy to be appreciative mm -hmm. of, and. And I, I did feel, I, I will say this, when, when we first got into our quarantines and our social distancing and everyone had to um, stay home, and I think that added a level of pause to everyone's life. I mean, it took away some of these extracurricular activities and social activities that we miss dearly and that we're grieving that as well. That's a right. whole, you know, that's a whole nother area of grief, but that we are able to truly slow down a little bit because we have less things on our calendars and our to-do lists in terms of getting out in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is a prime opportunity to turn toward reflective practice, mm -hmm. whether that be mending relationships or whether that be spending quality time face-to-face, -face, you know, maybe through a dynamic like you and I being face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. you know, over the, the internet. But the idea is that I now can actually put my phone down and have more connection time or turn off the TV, have more connection time. And I don't have, I, I'm, we're all still busy, but the busyness has shifted. And why not take this as an opportunity to explore what it means to then with this, with especially your special circle of people, what does it mean to foster those connections and create that meaning? If you haven't at any time in the past, now's a perfect time for it. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk for a couple minutes before I let you go about the restorative action. So we talked about the loss aspect of it and processing the loss and the grief. But then, as we said before, you have to get on with life. I had a friend years ago. She tragically lost her two brothers. She had There were three of them. She lost both her brothers in a car accident. She had just left her job and was going to start her own business. And when the chaos and the mayhem and everything of the funeral was over, she had a really hard time with her grieving because she didn't have the restorative piece of her life to run back to. And the, so she was left kind of um, bathing in the sadness and bathing in the guilt and bathing in all, you know, what about my parents and the worry about all, of the, all those other things. Um, so talk about what the, you know how important it is to get to move forward even while sad and even yeah, while yeah so um technically we call this we call it restore restoration oriented responses which just is a fancy term for saying like those different aspects of getting back to life in the face of of grief right so those responses 
um, could include learning new skills. It could include, um, I think of some elderly people, like I think of my grandmother who had never written a check before because my grandfather took care of, of all of those things. And so maybe even being able to manage the family finances or, or working with another family member to do that. Um, your friend, you know, didn't have her, her occupation to go to. So maybe it's forming new relationships or taking on roles that the loved one may have left vacant. Um, so these restoration activities, these sort of getting back to life activities, help us to focus on day-to-day -day tasks to get temporary relief from the emotional drain of the lost. And it's not so much so that we're repressing or ignoring our emotions, but it's really about becoming, coming back to a sense of normalcy. Um, it's our mind's way of easing the pain and just giving us a few moments to get the practical tasks done. Well, so it's an important part of the healing process, isn't it? Because you do absolutely. need to move forward and you do, you know, you go to the, they wouldn't want you locked in your room for life, right? No. Um, it's an important part and you shouldn't feel guilty that you are returning to work or that you are taking on tasks or going back to playing tennis or whatever it was that you that you had held aside through the grieving time. Yeah, and that's exactly it. That's exactly the the two the loss oriented responses and these restoration oriented responses. So the the grieving, the actual physical and emotional aspect of grieving, should be going on at the same time with these getting back to life activities in balance. Both right. like taking time to to sift through the emotions and be with them, and also taking time to get back into the tasks of living, absolutely. Right. And then as we said before, the other important aspect of these is a lot of those tasks are socially oriented. So yeah. they're also connecting you back to yeah. your social circle, which is absolutely. also so important to reconnect. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, it is really the number one buffer, like I mentioned before, in helping us to deal with any life stress and in particular grief. Right. All right, anything else that you want to share before I let you go? Uh, no, I mean, I feel like we, we covered things pretty full circle, Sarah. Thank right. you, though. Well, that's great. So, you know, again, if this is not an easy time at all for anybody. This is hopefully, um, you know, we are all becoming changed people in a changed society as a result of this um, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, and we need tools. You know, it's important to look for help and and support as you go through these processes. And, and Diane and, and the yoga medicine crew can, you know, is an aspect of it. And I think, you know, you need to find what works for you. Yoga may work, mantras may work, breathing may work, picking up running may work, whatever it is that helps you work through this process, as you said early on, Diane. So everybody, thank you so much. Diane, thank you very much. Again, the website to learn more about this is yogamedicine.com. And Please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong wherever you are in the process of all of this. So thanks very much. Thank you. I'm talking to psychologist and certified yoga medicine instructor, Diane Malaspina, about unique challenges in dealing with COVID-related grief. Losing a loved one is always difficult, but the many questions surrounding COVID and the isolation in which many people die and families are left to grieve have placed new emotional burdens on individuals. 
Helping people face life's challenges and take advantage of life's opportunities is what our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, is all about. Helping people do better and feel better. Diane is one example of the uniquely qualified experts who appear in Bottom Line Personal, not just in healthcare and emotional health, but in all aspects of life, including financial planning, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.